Welcome to Step Up Your Home. I'm your host, Georgia, and I am here to remind you that you can create positive changes in your life through your immediate surroundings. Together with renovation experts and thought leaders in the toxic-free and healthy home space, I am so excited to share our knowledge and to show you how you can step up your home and your life. On today's episode of Step Up Your Home, I am talking to one of my longest standing and dearest friends, Melissa Port. Mel has been one of the greatest inspirations for me when it comes to home, food, family, and cooking. Melissa has over 20 years experience in the food and tourism industry and has worked alongside some highly influential people such as President Bill Clinton, Bob Hawke, and John Simmons. In the past, she has worked in roles that include lecturer, CEO, program director, and event manager. Her work as a freelance food stylist and recipe developer has seen her service companies such as Australian Gourmet Magazine and Edgel Bird's Eye. Melissa now runs private bespoke food tours Australia-wide through her company Mia Cucina, which is ranked in the top six food tours in Australia. As a woman and a mum to four beautiful children, Melissa believes you have to be open to new ideas and explore new boundaries, which is why she has led such a diverse career thus far. On today's episode, we talk about giving kids responsibility in the home, teaching your kids about culture and other religions and faiths, how you can live a really enriched cultural lifestyle and life without spending a lot of money, the importance of not wasting food, and so much more. Guys, this is a ripper episode. It is raw, it's authentic, and you're just going to love it. I don't want to wait any longer. Introducing the beautiful Melissa Port. Melissa Port, you're one of my best friends and I'm so excited that I can have you here on Step Up Your Home on my podcast. You know and I know that you've been a major influence and inspiration to me throughout my life from a very young age. We met when I was, how old was I? I would have been like 11 or 12. And throughout the years, I've had the absolute pleasure of having you as a mentor and then obviously a friend, and I call you one of my dearest and greatest and best friends. Why I wanted to bring you on the show today or the podcast today was because you have raised four children, one daughter, a set of twins and a son, pretty much single-handedly and in such an immaculate, cultural, open-minded manner and all throughout the years when I was babysitting the kids and I was in your home, I remember just picking up and absorbing and learning every single thing that you did. And I feel as though it's been one of the major inspirational aspects of how I incorporate so many things in my own home. And so this show is not just about healthy physical homes or you know how to build and renovate. This is also about bringing inspirational women who can educate and inspire so many on how to create this wholesome, 
abode, where there's magic in the home, where there's teaching cultural differences and bringing that into the home, where there is basically giving your children the tools and, of course, any family member the tools that they need to go on and be like some of the best that they can be in their future and throughout their lives. And I feel like you are someone that has been such a strong presence with regard to that to me over the years. So welcome to Step Up Your Home. (laughs) Thank you you for having me. So Melly, you have a very creative, interesting background in terms of your career. So if you can do the honours in telling us your journey and, and, and how you got to where you are today, that would be amazing. So I was raised in a European sort of style home where food was everything. I have photographs of sitting in the kitchen sink and watching my mum mince fish and cook and, and I ate and tasted everything and with my grandparents, everything was when you came over, the table was laden with food and you'd sit for hours and talk, everything was around food. So that was pretty much my blood. Um, my dad had a passion for photography. He had a dark room under the house and I spent many years hiding under there so I didn't have to do house chores. <laughs> so I took my passion off food and photography. I studied food and then I became a food stylist and I styled for cookbooks and magazines, TV commercials for many years. I then started my family. I had Shoshi, a baby, in the studio in a porticot. I was in the middle of a cookbook for a Breville Mixmaster or something and um, I'd feed her and my assistant would burp her and take her for a walk and And I also lectured at night. So um, once the kids were in bed, I'd race out to college and I'd lecture for many years at East Sydney Tech and many other colleges. Then my family started to grow and I had, as you said, twin babies, Phoebe and Izzy. I sat there on a couch for six months tapping my feet and trying to think of what I could do, where I could go. And that's when I created Mia Cucina school of cookery so I ran a cooking school from home I ran daytime classes throw the kids into kindy come home have 12 men and women for a full-on cooking demonstration and lunch do the afternoon pick up school homework and story book and bed then I'd have 12 more people at night it'd be like having two dinner parties every day back to back it was huge and that lasted Um, a while. I had over 300 clients come through. That was my home. Um, And at the same time, I did a lot of charity work. I did a lot of um, major events, corporate events, voluntary. And then I sort of got caught up in um, corporate events. And so I hung up my apron and I went into the corporate world with Max Markson and I did a lot of the major dinners, the Bill Clinton, the George Bush seniors, all of the um, internationals raising a huge amount of money for a lot of charities. And, and um, you know, at the same time having four little kids trying to do things on the weekend that weren't expensive that could get them out of the house, we used to go exploring all the suburbs throughout Sydney. So I'd pretend that we were going to India for the day or we were going to Vietnam for the day and I'd make the kids say hello in whatever the country was or, you know, buongiorno or we'd go to Italy for the day and then we'd go exploring and we'd pretend and I'd create these, you know, 
know, imaginary countries and and that's really how I discovered all of the best street food throughout Sydney. So with that information that I have, I've now turned that into my food tours. So that's really the background to my food tours and where that all began. I just remember as a young teenager coming into your home, this is just so hilarious and true. So I used to babysit Mel's kids when I was about 14 or 15. And, you know, typically as a young teenager does, you look in the cupboards for some chocolate or some food. And I remember I would come to Mel's house. She'd have four kids sitting around the table. She'd be like, right, I'm going. I've made you dinner. And they'd be like peeking duck. And I had never had peeking duck, you know, like, and the kids are just devouring this mature food that was full of culture. And then I remember getting the kids down and going to the pantry and I'd be looking up and down and I'd see jars labeled with like pistachio nuts, cashews, wheat, like every single thing of her cooking, you know, culinary, you know, all her ingredients and no chocolate. I, I feel like that would be the first. I mean, my my household I grew up in was like very healthy, but there was always like a cracker or so. You know, Mel was very strict with like no preservatives and everything was like very pure down to like the whole foods, everything. And I remember that was like probably my first introduction to that. I really did not like that cupboard when I'd come over to Mel's house. I used to <laughs> really struggle with that as a teenager. But yeah, it's just so funny when you said you'd have these journeys with your kids on the weekend. I just distinctly remember we'd go away on family trips together to Thailand and Bali. We would often go at the same time because our families became bonded and became so close that we'd liaise and, and create these holidays at the same time at the same places. And I just remember, Mel, like you being on the streets, you know, coming home and you being on the streets of Bangkok and taking your kids through um, the markets and getting them street food and you eat at the local restaurants and they were always brought up with this like real deep, I would say almost comfort with the cultural food that comes with each country, which is something that I think a lot of us don't have and, and it's, it's just purely on how we're brought up. Tell us more about why you felt important, like the importance on really exploring that when you go overseas and as well when we're here in Australia, like discovering those pockets of Sydney that were, you know, Vietnamese, for, you know, heavily influenced by Vietnamese culture and, and Italian. So first of all, I do want to say I have, and it's I'm laughing to myself when you tell these stories, how you go into the cupboards, because I remember as babysitting I used to do the same thing but I have without realizing it influenced so many of my babysitters and my kids were only working out recently how many babysitters we had over the years you know working full-time you just needed a lot of babysitters on hand and how I always made sure there was a lamington there was a piece of cake there was always something there for the babysitter where I always had food so you do remember that, don't you? Yeah, of course. I actually remember. Sorry, I'm going to cut in. I have to say, like, this is so important. Like, Mel, it's like, you know, when some people look at cooking or baking or anything, they just get, like, that anxiety that comes with it. They just, it's just too much or it's too much mess or whatever. I remember being with Mel and just, like, we decided one afternoon we would throw Phoebe a party and 
It was like within 30 seconds, she had a sponge cake in the oven. Like she just whipped out her mix master. She threw in the flour, the, 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 this, the, that, the, da, 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 da. And then like there was a sponge cake in the oven. And then she like decorated it. And then we had this whole table worth of immaculately freshly made, nothing bought. She created it out of nowhere. And it was like that ease of, you know, when, when the first lockdown of COVID and we all found this like, I mean, I know I, I've always loved this, but like a lot of my, a lot of people would say, tell me, and I'd see like this, this passion for baking and bread and cakes and muffins and everything. Like that's Mel on a daily occasion. Like nothing's too hard. Everything's simple. Everything's easy in her mind. She has it down packed. She brought it into her home. The smells, the aromas, the, you know, I remember like Asha sitting on the bench. That's Asha's her youngest. Um, sitting on the bench, like hopping onto the island and being like, where are the sardines? And I was like, oh, and they'd like bring out like the pickled sardines. Like Melissa would always have like, you know, anywhere up to like 10 jars of pickled something in her fridge, you know, and they, and the kids did it. Like it wasn't like Mel did it. The kids did it because they had watched Mel so many times that they knew how to pickle their own food. And they loved this, you know, mature variety of foods that Mel created in in the house. So I'm going to bring it back to that question. Why did you think it was so important to immerse your kids in that culture overseas? And like, why were you, you know, so many people, I I know like I would even be at like with my kids, like afraid to, and, and nervous and all of that stuff. I think it's about opportunity. I had a lot of opportunity growing up and I wanted my kids to have also that opportunity. And that doesn't mean it needs to be expensive. And I'm also big into community. You always need to be giving back to your community. And so my kids were raised where they had to go into the old age home every other weekend and walk around and smile and say hello to people and let them touch you and have an understanding that some of these people may not have family and then you coming and spending a a minute or two with them really makes their day. So it's all about giving back. And, you know, I think it's really important to keep kids grounded is so they can see how other people live and to have that better understanding. And in terms of different cultures, you know, there's so much great food out there. And the earlier you introduce all of these foods to your kids, you'll never, you'll be able to take them anywhere in the world and they will be happy to eat anything. Like for my kids, um, you know, after their first lot of solids, which was, you know, the rice pudding thing, the... um, what's the grain, you know, the little, we feed the kids when they had their first mouthfuls of foods. But my kids' first solids, we used to take those little chairs. Do you remember you used to click onto a table and they'd hang off the table? We used to take the chairs to Yama and at six months old, my kids' first solid food was yamcha. It was chicken feet in black bean sauce. It was sticky rice with egg on the inside. It was steamed chicken bun and dumplings. And and that was a tradition. And I've got a video of the kids all sitting there. And you know what? You build up their immunity. You open up their minds to new ideas. And it's really a... It's a very healthy, grounded 
and providing those opportunities, I think, are, uh, and you have such a short window as a parent to influence your kid. And that's really, you know, what I chose to do. I absolutely love the notion about like keeping your kids grounded. I think that's something so important for me. I mean, I grew up, you know, in a privileged household in Sydney, but we, you know, both my parents came from, you know, backgrounds where, you know, they weren't so privileged. Like my mum came from a very poor upbringing and my dad came to Australia when he was 15 and they had absolutely nothing. And he was also coming from India. So coming from India to Australia when you have a little bit of an Indian accent and it wasn't like the easiest of journeys, not that he finds that like it affects him in or he's not emotional about it, but it definitely formed some form of like humble characteristics for both of my parents and they were huge on being humble with us. And, you know, I remember as a young child, you know, the cleaning lady came over, we sat down together, I made her lunch and her tea. Any gardener that came over, we brought out morning tea and lunch and also a tea or coffee. They were us. There was no difference. And, and the truth is that's how I bring up my kids because, I mean, every job is a job. It doesn't matter what that job is. We all need some form of guidance in areas of our lives that enable us to do the most important things in our lives. So if, you know, having a cleaner enables me to have emotional freedom or more time, that is as important as what I do. So I treat anyone of any trade as the same as I would want to be treated. And that came from my parents. And when you're talking about like grounding and seeing out, you know, out in the world, like the realities of so many people, you know, across the world and eating with the locals and really understanding and the truth of like taking them to an old age care center. I mean, this is the giving that so many entrepreneurials or figures in the the self-help um, industry talk about. It's really that idea of you really become truly happy when you give. And um, that's definitely something that I want to do with the kids as they grow older, like take them to India. I want them to see the poverty that's in the country. I want them to understand how lucky they are. You know, I'm not afraid of showing them, you know, Im- you know, footage of what's going on in Yemen and, and these countries that where children are starving to death. I think it's important for our children to, you know, be cultured and educated and understand what's going on in our world so they can truly be grateful for the relationships with their family, what they have, the food that they have, the roof over their heads, and actually like have that deep inside of kindness. You know, I feel like you've brought up four very kind children and I'm lucky because I feel like I've been brought up with a lot of kindness in my family and like really knowing right from wrong. And, and I, that's exactly right, you know, to show that you can still have a, and live a very happy life but you don't need a lot in your life. And you see this when you travel through Asian countries, how happy a simple life can be, you know, which is really very beautiful. And now I see my kids as young adults and how they're giving back to their communities in so many different ways and how respectful they are of people that they work with, people that they come across. And like you said, everyone everyone deserves the right to have that respect, which is really very beautiful. Yeah. 
So I wanted to ask you about your kids growing up in your home. I remember coming to your house before we'd go on a trip or you'd go on a trip and you'd get all of your kids, even though I think Asha must have been too. I'm not even joking. And you'd put the suitcases out in their room and you go, right, I want you to pack your bags. And you'd let them pack their bags as if they thought they were packing them. And while they were asleep, you'd go back into their rooms and you add things and take them out and, you know, fix it all up. And you, I want to know why you did that. Tell me more about the responsibility side of parenting. I think, you know, giving kids choices is really important, not to say this is what we are doing, but to always have choices. So leading up to school holidays, I used to put a big sheet of paper on the fridge and I used to go, everyone go and write something that you want to do in the school holidays. And so we would have a list of about 10 things that we would want to try and get through, you know, during the holidays, things to look forward to. So it gave them the, the not only responsibility, but it gave them to their freedom to have their say. I learned early on that when you give kids two options, they normally nine times out of ten take the second option. So, for some, you know, yes, I was very strict and came home and we had afternoon tea and kids did their homework and this was after sport, ballet, tennis, soccer, tennis, dancing, ballet, you know, whatever it was. And then they would all have showers, we'd get into our pyjamas, we'd have dinner, they'd do their teeth, there'd be story time, that was a big thing, and then they'd go to bed. So the kids knew routine, and kids love the routine. But every now and then in the holidays, I'd say, we're going to mix it up, we're going to have dinner first, or we're going out, we're going down to Bondi for dinner, or we're going to take a picnic, is what I mean, we never ate out. And, you know, the kids used to think that was just so exciting, because we were doing something different than their little routine. Um, But giving the kids responsibility is, I think, super important. They look at you like you're letting me make a decision. They, um, you know, they really do value that. So, yes, I'd say pack your bags and, you know, they would pretend that they pack their bags. Although one year we went to New Zealand, I took the kids and um, they did pack their own bags and I didn't go into Ash's bag and he forgot to pack underwear. So then we had to go to the local Target or best and less we had to buy him. (laughs) all his underwear I bet he wouldn't never ever forget his underwear again that's exactly right (laughs) um giving children options and giving them the idea of making decisions empowers them and that's really what it's all about and even if it's between two different things do you want to read this book or that book I don't really care. I just want you to read a book. I want you to have that understanding that before you go to bed, it's quiet time. I want you to use your imagination. I want to create something where you have to just not look at a picture, but, you know, go further and have ideas. And and that's what it's all about. It's just empowering your kids. So as you're talking, I'm thinking about how when you had your kids at the young age, I'm like picturing your home because you don't live there anymore, but I'm picturing your home how it was like moody, filled with character and the interiors was, you know, like you had these like beautiful wooden pieces from India and you bought all your pieces from all over the world, but I can picture the kids sitting on the couch and I'm thinking to myself, when they were younger, there was TV, but there wasn't the same form of like electronics, like mobile phones and iPads and, you know, social media. And I'm thinking to myself, I want to get your 
insight and advice as a mum, like, you know, or or, or to us mums who have young kids, you know, it's, for me, I I try so, we don't have a working iPad, so the kids don't go on an iPad. I have no games on my iPhone. My kids are like literally not allowed on my iPhone to do games. You want to practice math or teaching, I'll open up a book. We've got amazing books where you can rub out things. I don't want, I, I don't want screen time like at all with my kids but we do watch tv and I find that when my kids are not watching tv and when they're away from the tv they they experience magic and creativity and they just yeah I just I want to get your thoughts on what's going on right now especially to mums who may struggle with you know it's hard yeah it is super hard and I can't imagine what it would be like to have been through lockdown. Mums who are working and um, who are homeschooling, I just take my hat off to mums and dads who have survived the pandemic and having kids at home. I just don't know how I would ever have survived that time. In terms of electronics, you know, there was always PlayStation, there were lots of different electronic games. Firstly, I couldn't afford that as a single parent. Secondly, when you got four kids, what you'd need four units or something. So that was never an option for me. Yes, we had TV and TV, you know, was very limited in our home. What I used to have on hand, I mean, you need to have a list in your head of, you know, 10 different options. If it's raining, you can't go outside. But when the sun's out, you know, getting out, going to different parks, you know, setting up games in in your backyard, that type of thing. Meeting up with people and friends, getting outside is the best, best. And the best energy and especially for my boys they really needed to run around for girls you know parents of girls they don't always need that sort of outside energy where my boys really needed you know throwing them onto the sand in the afternoon with a cricket ball they'd be exhausted by the time they came home that my boys really needed um and then the old-fashioned board games I had a big cupboard where we had Twister, Scrabble, Monopoly, checkers, chess. And, you know, I would create the atmosphere where we go, right, we're having a competition today. Put the tablecloth on the table. Let's get a notepad. Who's going to have some, well, should we make a batch of cookies and we make the whole thing an experience and then we'll have a checkers competition and we'll take turns or, you know, but it's exhausting. It is exhausting um, and I suppose you're never going to be able to get kids away from phones. I don't understand parents that do hand their phone over to the kids and then the phone breaks and, you know, then they're without a phone when they really do need a phone. But it is a very difficult time with, uh, and it's not all bad having kids on an iPad and, you know, doing a learning program or whatever, but the best way to be learning and you know, this is how I raised my kids was everyone's in the kitchen. You can each invite a kid over this afternoon at two o'clock and we're going to make a party and we'll make a sponge cake and someone else will decorate it and we'll make some scones and, and everyone would be hands-on and someone will set the table and someone will make little place cards and do art. So it became almost like Montessori. That's what they do where when you walk into a Montessori kindy, how your day will pan out will depend on 
what happened on the way to kindy or what the weather is showing you or, you know, if someone's fallen over, we're all going to play doctors and let's talk about our bodies and our limbs and, you know, that's just sort of very organic and that's sort of how I ran my home. I feel like mothers would be listening or or anyone, like someone that's not a mum or a mum-to-be or anyone that's listening who does feel insecure about cooking and baking and all of that. Like, I mean, I, I do, I, I understand like you're, it's limited with this podcast, but I guess what can you say to those people who, you know, just, I mean, maybe they, like there are some people who do not enjoy cooking, that's a different story, but someone who loves and wants to cook more but feels insecure or time poor, you know, how how can you, what can you say to sort of like, guide them to bring it into their home a little bit more? I think it's really important, especially for me as a working mum, you do need to be super organised and you need to have at least three or four dinners a week ready. And, you know, maybe that was the weekend where you um, sat down and, you know, ask your kids, okay, and get the kids involved. Okay, kids, give me four dinners for the week. What can you think about? Someone will say, you know, spag bowl or someone will say, I want, you know, whatever it is. Make a little shopping list of the three or four meals that you need so you know that you've got everything covered. And, um, you know, preparing food beforehand, making double quantities and freezing things, you can save a lot of time. If you're making a vegetable curry, double it. While you're standing there and doing it, just make a bigger pot, put half of it in the freezer so next week you've got, instead of eating it for four nights in a row, have it again next week or the week after sort of thing. So get rid of the ice cream in the freezer and all the ice cubes and the the rubbish and put in there at least one meal so that's one less thing that you have to do, you know. Um, So I do a lot of food prep on the weekend and when I had young kids, I always made muffins or I always had a slice or some biscuits or something. And, yes, my kids were spoiled in their lunch boxes. They always had something homemade, a sweet treat and the fruit and a big sandwich and they had to at least choose two vegetables to go in their sandwich. But, again, you give them the choice, but they knew they needed vegetables in their sandwiches, grated carrot or shredded cabbage or, you know, whatever it was. Um, In terms of cooking, you know, it really does come with experience. A lot of people are visual. They like to. They prefer to watch someone cooking something on a video, something like a Jamie Oliver, choose something simple, cook it a few times, and then before you know it, you won't need to look down at the ingredients and it will come naturally to you because, you know, I see you cook and you just cook what you have. But what is really important is not to throw away food you know your celery or your cucumbers have gone limp in the fridge just put them in a bowl of water overnight and they will come back there's you know and it is to experience is using everything you do have and not wasting because um we do in first world countries we waste so much food we really so you really need to look at what produce that you do have something that's fallen behind in the back and um and think about how you can cook that 
So just really quickly on this point, because whenever you come to my house and we're cooking, you always give me this weird look when I throw away heads of celery. (laughs) No, 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 no. (laughs) So tell us some vegetables that you would think that some people just throw away and like what we can use. Teach us. Let's start with the celery. So you cut the, a little bit of the base off the celery and you sit the bottom of the stalks in water and you give them a little brush so you get rid of the soil. And then you cut them up into long strips and put them into a container in the fridge. You know what I, with kids in the house, I used to get the biggest Tupperware I had and in there there were always celery sticks, carrot sticks, cherry tomatoes, Um, cucumber you know so when it was afternoon tea time or someone was hungry you know kids open up the door of the fridge and they just stand there staring you can open up the container you've you know if you have some dips in the fridge that's a great way to for everyone just to have a snack when people want a snack so (coughs) sorry (coughs) the top of the celery You can use the celery stalks in a green juice. Now, you used to be queen of juices. You can't mix up your colours. Like you never put um, capsicum with green because then it goes brown. But you keep the greens with the greens. But I keep a, a container just with my tops and I use that in a green juice. I use that in a soup. I will use that as a um um you know if I'm making a soup I'll put in there a bay leaf and I'll put in some celery stalks and I tie the whole thing up with a string and that will go into something um you know or go and plant it in the soil and it will shoot roots and then you'll go and be growing your own celery (laughs) what else um uh throw me another vegetable something potatoes okay yeah yeah like or like or like kale stalks like you know some people like don't they just use the leaves so like the stalks or the broccoli kale stalks kale stalks are very tough but something like potato skins if you want to peel your potatoes you before you peel your potatoes you if they're soiled you just brush the skins and clean the potatoes peel the skin off throw the potato skins in some olive oil and salt spread it out onto a tray and you've got potato chips like you know oh my god yum i'm gonna do that every part of everything you know as soon as i see my kale getting soft in the fridge i'll take it off the stalks you can't use the stalks and i will put it in some water and give it a wash and um, put it in the lettuce spinner and dry it break it up into pieces, put it into a big bowl, again, olive oil and salt, and I use nutritional yeast. And, um, again, put that onto a baking tray, throw it in the oven, you've got kale chips. You've always been so resourceful with food. I, I remember, like, you've always been very um, passionate about where food goes and the chain and you've always I been wanted to tell you one more one there. the chicken okay so you serve the roast chicken you've still got chicken left over you know straight away I pull it off the bone I shred it while it's still warm I put it into a container then the next day you can have chicken sandwiches you can turn it into put it in some puff pastry and turn it into a chicken pie like you know utilizing everything the vegetables that you cooked in your chicken soup you know you make sure you eat the onion and the 
celery and the carrot and, you know, everything can be used and eaten. Sorry, go on. No, I love that. No, no, I love that so much. We've been doing the celery sticks cut up, but mainly because I like to juice celery in the morning. Sometimes I'm really, like I've been really lazy the last few weeks. But anyway, we do keep celery sticks and it's so easy. Like Jesse just reaches for it. He loves celery sticks. But I don't know why we, we usually don't do that. I'm going to do that all the time. I think that's a great – and it's just so easy. It makes life so much easier for you in the moment. But when the kids are hungry, rather than reaching over to get something processed, you just pull out, a you know, carrot sticks. And Jesse loves – and Hallie loves, like, vegetables. I put, like, a bit of hummus in the bottom of a bowl and then I just shove some of my vegetable sticks in that. And it's like, a, you know, as you said, it's, it's just a really easy snack. I wanted to talk about, you know, now you have grown kids and you pretty much live on your own, but you are influencing so many adults now um, and inspiring so many adults. You, you, re- you work on and you are a part of some amazing projects. So number one, you do an intercultural cooking project and I always see you in the kitchen promoting, you know, restaurants from all over Australia and restaurants with, you know, all different cultural strengths and of of people with different backgrounds and with this intercultural cooking projects, from what I understand, you work with refugees. Will you tell, tell me more about it? Sure. So I was invited by an organisation to create a food-based project to break down barriers. And, um, you know, there are a lot of projects out there where I'm in high school and young adults where people can have a morning tea and Muslims meet Jews and meet Christians and everyone says hello and everyone, you know, everyone gets on and it's lovely and you talk about what you're studying or where you live and you talk a bit about your family and everyone says goodbye and that's the end of it. This project that I ran actually broke down real barriers where I'd have a group of Muslim women who, you know, they all have very large families and and I'd bring together Jewish women and, you know, we would sit there and in the beginning you'd see a lot of Jewish women nervous and you'd see a lot of women, Muslim women nervous. I'll never forget one Syrian Muslim woman was just so nervous to come to our first meeting. She was trembling in her boots. And by the first hour, she was hugging me and kissing me. And she was the first one to come. Um, each week, we would cook and explore and we would learn and have a better understanding of each of our cultures. And I ran this program for many, many years with different groups, but it wasn't just a one-off meeting. People actually made wonderful, long friendships that we were together for maybe two months every week or every second week. And we broke down incredible barriers. We would go to a mosque. We'd take Muslim women to a synagogue. A rabbi once stood there and read the morning prayer out of the Torah and the Muslim women were all in tears saying they are the words that we say every day. They were the same words and sharing stories of culture and there are so many similarities 
through Christianity, through Muslims, through Islam and through Judaisms. And it really is all about family and heritage and culture and it's all based around food, which is really what I love more than anything. So that's been a wonderful project. I've used that project as a foundation. I've run with different kindies where we've made pita bread and challah and we've been sharing and swapping stories and and it really is a a wonderful run a wonderful project and um that's been amazing and into you know last week was refugee week and I'm involved with lots of different communities and I think it really is my passion I really people are sort of scared of the unknown they're scared of you know should I be going out to that suburb or what's going to happen it's because we all have these preconceived ideas of what we hear in the media or what our parents have told us or you know so it's really just breaking down those barriers and um and you also do that really well I mean you recently did a huge big fundraising campaign for the Indian community who supply you with um, product and you know you too you also um, have a wonderful incredible influence on people around you. I think that is so amazing what you do. <laughs> Mel's pulling a funny face at me at the moment because <laughs> I like thanks Mel. But yeah, I just think that is so incredible. I just want to, I mean, I've, we've, we've, I've seen what you do with this intercultural cooking project. I've seen it for so many years, but I've never actually heard those stories and they make me, you know, hopeful and yeah, it's, it's amazing. You're doing such amazing things and yeah. Well, I also wanted you to talk about, if you wouldn't mind, your Mia Cucina food tours the reason why I want to bring this up on the show is because you are changing the way that people look at food one tour at a time. And I just think anyone who's interested and who's listening to this podcast in food tours around Australia, like this is the person to talk to. So please tell us more about what this is, what you've been doing, what you offer. So it really is about just showcasing the wonderful expanse of different cultures we have in this country. And I can't really think of any other country in the world where we have a whole suburb, which is just the Indian community or the Turkish community or the Vietnamese community. Malcolm Fraser really in the 70s opened up our borders. So we are super fortunate to be able to enjoy and explore so many different cultures. And that's really what my food tours are all about. I do a lot of corporate work where you have a team away day where you're not running around the city trying to find clues. Everyone's exhausted. Everyone these days just wants somewhere where you can bring your team together, learn a different about a different culture. And we're just updating our website at the moment and um, you will be able to um, book online. And, yeah, so um, we do a beautiful tea ceremony in Chinatown, which is like being in Beijing for the morning. It's just wonderful. On the weekend I did a Turkish food tour and um, everyone enjoyed the local supermarket where all the old ladies were telling us what we should be buying and what we shouldn't be buying. And the Vietnamese 
Turkey, the Vietnamese tour out in Cabramatta, you really are the only Westerns out there. You don't see anyone out there but the locals and um, they're wonderful places to explore. I also developed um, over a year ago a food map. So it's a digital food map. It started off when all the bushfires were happening throughout New South Wales. I wanted people to get out into the country and go and support the local communities. And then when we went into lockdown, I thought, you know what, I've got so many different rural uh, areas that I have um, mapped over the years. That So now I have food maps where you open it on your phone and I have pinned all the best markets and cafes and bakeries and chocolate shops. So if you're heading down to Tasmania, I've got a wonderful food map that you can purchase on my website. Uh, the Southern Highlands in New South Wales, I've got a great food map of Canberra and they're growing every Every few weeks I'm launching more and more food mats. So it's really about people just exploring our own backyard. We have such great food in this country and that's really what my passion is, is just sharing, you know, the best of the best. And if you may have remembered, some of you may that are listening, March last year I got back from India and I may have announced on my Instagram page, um, little did I have any insight of what the future held for us, but I mentioned that I was looking into doing some design and food tours in Morocco and India. Yeah, this is with Melly, who we're talking to right now. So if you like what you hear, this is going to be the woman who's standing by my side in those countries when we finally get to travel internationally again so yeah we're very excited about that and I can see Melly nodding her head well Mel it has been an absolute pleasure talking with you um I feel like every time I talk to you I just learn something new that I didn't know before I 100% know that so many women are going to benefit from this chat and men and yeah I just wanted to thank you so much for joining us and being so open and honest about everything and thank you Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I think you're doing incredible work and I love following you. And I can't wait for what the future holds for both of us. If you want to catch up with what Melissa's doing, you can follow her on Instagram at Mia Kuchina. Or head on over to the show notes at www.ahwgeorgiaesra.com. Go to podcasts and find Melissa Port. There you will see all of her details, including her website and how to get in touch with Mel for anything food related.
Thank you.